Every Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m., WRFL invites you to Office Hours, real-world conversations with UK professors. No appointment necessary. Representing the 16 colleges across campus, Office Hours brings professors from every corner of UK to share their adventures in academia. Go beyond the syllabus to learn more about the people behind the research. We'll be demystifying higher education one interview at a time. Stop by every Wednesday afternoon. Office Hours is available online via wrfl.fm or on the airwaves on 88.1 FM, Radio Free Lexington. Hello and welcome to Office Hours on 88.1 WRFL, Radio Free Lexington. My name is David Cole. I'm your host. With me today is board runner extraordinaire Brian Connors Mankey, and we've got four guests in the studio today, up in the ante for office hours. This is the first time we've had so many people in the studio, and I'm going to ask you guys to introduce yourselves, especially when we get to you three, to our audience. So, uh, Catherine, could you begin? Sure. Hi. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Catherine Behar, and I'm a visiting artist here at UK. All right. All right. I'm Chris Heinz. I'm a mechanical engineering junior here at UK. Hi, I'm Joshua Morgan. I'm an uh, electrical engineering major junior here at UK as well. I'm Mike Vance. I'm a media studies student at UK. All right. Thanks for coming on the show, everybody. We're glad to have you. Let's move right into the interview. Catherine has an exhibit here at UK. Now, has it opened or is it still too open? It's going to open tomorrow at 5 p.m. Awesome. And it's going to run through, um, starting tomorrow the 6th, running through November 28th. Right, and that's at our, um, let's see, the Tusca Center for Contemporary Art, correct? Correct. All right. Um, now, the exhibit is called E-Waste. I mean, it's an art exhibit. It's full of your sculpture. I was looking at a catalog for it that I was sent before the show, and I definitely want to kind of talk about the backstory to E-Waste, because there is one, correct? Yes, Absolutely. Um, could you would you mind telling us just what is the story of e-waste? Sure. Um, so the exhibition has a couple of different components, but the main um, the main focus of it is a series of sculptures where I have um, sort of imagined a science fiction scenario in which all of the little USB gadgets that populate our lives um, and are all made out of plastic outlive the human race and they start to mutate and take on new forms, um, new forms of life. They become sort of fossilized mutants. And those are the main idea behind the floor installation in the mm. gallery. There's also a series of videos called Modeling Big Data. In those videos, I perform as a bloated, obese data body, the body of big data. And then there is a 3D printer installation called 3D and and. And that is uh, producing, it's a fossilized 3D printer that's producing scarab um, covers for USB mice. All right, well there's definitely some other questions we gotta get into <laughs> from that. We'll, we'll move back to the uh, USB floor installation a bit later, but I think my first question is, I didn't know about these uh, video components. Um, when you say the bloated body of big data, what, what exactly does that mean literally? <laughs> sure. Well, one of the things that I'm really interested in as an artist working with technology is sort of trying to take a, a slightly critical approach to digital culture. And one of the things that I'm sure folks have been hearing about a lot if you read 
the news is is about big data. So big data is kind of a buzzword in the business world these days. People want to monetize massive amounts of data. And of course, our, our devices around us are constantly producing more and more data for us. Everything that we can capture digitally becomes um, a data set. So I was thinking about this kind of, the way that this is posed to businesses is often that um, they should keep data because somehow if you're able to process data, it's like it, it holds a secret, a magic secret that could be extremely valuable. There could be some valuable pattern in all of this noise. Hmm. But for the moment, what's happening is that companies are basically hoarding data we as a society are producing more and more data and that data is being hoarded and kept. And I'm thinking about, there's this idea that data is somehow immaterial, but I'm thinking about the materiality of that data Mm -hmm. and trying to give it visual form. So in my videos, I imagine personal data um, about an individual as a data body that grows bigger and bigger and bigger Um, through these various actions like clicking or caching that it's there's a growing quantity of data okay so is it sort of like like kind of like that scene in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory (laughs) if you'll forgive my comparison I like that comparison um, where uh, the, the young lady eats the blueberry candy and expands is it like that in um, some way, in, but with in data? a sense, yes, <laughs> it's a, it's it's a little bit more abstract than that. But um, in the vid- in the video, it's a little bit more abstract than that. But right. it is it is very much like that. There's a sense of bloating and overindulgence, <laughs> and that really um, connects back to this I- the ideas behind behind the sculptures as well. Mm-hmm. That right. there's this sense of of overindulgence, overproduction, the idea of sort of overconsumption, really, Mm -hmm. that we're consuming little gadgets, devices, and then we're also producing lots of data. So those are two sides of the same coin. All right. Let's talk about the uh, ground installation just a little bit. I'm really curious when you talk about the the fossilized... (laughs) Uh, leftovers of these technological devices. Now, I've seen what they look like because of the catalog, and by the way, sculptures are great. Thank Uh, you. But uh, for the audience at home, and this may be quite the challenge since radio is an audio-only medium, but can you describe what you've done uh, to these pieces of tech? Sure. Well, they're all very um, sort of modest objects. So there are things like corded USB mice, these little USB fans that you would plug into the side of your laptop if you're on a hot day, you need a little extra breeze as you're working. Um, So they're all very sort of modest, domesticated pieces of technology. And what I've done is, I'm calling this process fossilizing, even though it's not really fossilizing, but I've basically, it looks as though they've been overgrown with rock or stone or various environmental materials. So the, the idea that I have is that this is, going back to this idea of, of science fiction, it's that this is a kind of distant future in which these devices that remain on the earth, all of, because they're made out of plastic, mm-hmm. um, that at some point what's left on the planet is a lot of USB devices and the planet itself. So the earth or the stone starts to kind of comfort 
the the devices so that they are kind of embraced by stone or embraced by by stucco or something like this mm-hmm. as the as a way of sort of comforting them because they're doomed to work forever. Okay. Quick thought, just from the description and the pictures that I've seen, are these just uh, USB devices, or are there other pieces of technology that you've kind of built? Everything is run off of USB, so okay. USB is powering basically the entire the entire exhibition. All right. Besides the the power mm-hmm. aspect, is there yeah. an artistic reason that you've chosen just USB devices? Well, I think that USB has this kind of casual uh, relationship to most people. You know, mm-hmm. that, um, it's, a, it's a very common thing. Everybody knows what it is. And it doesn't seem too terribly high tech. So that's part of why I was drawn to it. It seems like a kind of very domestic kind of technology. All right. I think we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we'll be talking more with Catherine Behar and her student accomplices. So stay tuned to Office Hours. You're listening to Office Hours on 88.1 WRFL. My name is David Cole. I'm here with board runner extraordinaire Brian Connors-Makey and our guests Catherine Behar and her three students. Before the break, we talked about how um, Catherine's exhibit has three elements to it. Sculptures, a video component, and a 3D printer element. Uh, But we didn't get to talk specifics about the 3D printer. So I'm wondering, Catherine, can you tell us what's this 3D printer doing at your art exhibit? (laughs) That's a great question. What is it doing there? Hopefully it's printing. (laughs) If if all goes well, it will be printing. Um, The 3D printer, so in a lot of my work, I'm really interested in sort of mixing up the categories of the organic and the inorganic, or the human and the machine-made. So the 3D printer is a great opportunity to explore some of that. And one of the things that's been so great about coming here to UK is that I've had a chance to do that. I've been working with a class called Hybrid Production, and Mike, Josh, and Chris are all part of that class. So the 3D printer basically is fossilized to look related to some of the, um, the other sculptures. However, what it is doing instead of just blinking or chirping or spinning a fan, is it is printing out these scarab-like covers that go over corded USB mice. So when it's on a mouse, it kind of it lights up and it looks like um, an archaeological scarab. Mm. So along with that hard work that the printer is engaged in, it's also uh, making sound. So I've worked with a sound designer, Shelley Bergen, who is based in New York with me, and she has helped me to create a soundtrack for the overall exhibition, um, and then also working with stepper motors that we are attaching to the printer. And those motors, so the printer itself runs with stepper motors, and then we have these additional motors that have the job of singing. So in a sense, the, the printer is whistling while it works. In order to get this up and running, which is a technological feat of sorts, Chris and Josh and also Mike have been working really hard at figuring out the technological aspect, the engineering aspect of getting the mechanics to work. Mm-hmm. What the the printer is singing is actually a Morse code, a very slow Morse code message, and it's saying, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy, 
over and over again. So this orphaned device is, is calling out for its parents while it's reproducing. That's chilling. <laughs> uh, let's hear from uh, you three for a moment here. So what, what class are you taking that led you down the path to becoming assistants at an art exhibition? The class that we're in is called Hybrid Manufacturing, and it's, a, uh, it's an art studio class here at UK. Um, I'm actually an engineering major, and the reason I'm in the class is um, the class is based around using various manufacturing technologies like um, laser cutting and 3D printing. And for a lot of the projects that um, we kind of do, that those are pretty useful. So the class was interesting, and that's why I'm in the class. And so when Catherine um, had this project where she needed some um, stepper motors to, you know, to sing, um, that was kind of kind of our field, I guess, to actually get that to work. Is it a common thing having to make motors sing, or is this new um, work for you? No, it's 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 not really a common requirement. Um, there are some similar things that some people like to play with, but. Nothing that is very common at all. Mm. Branching out. Yeah. It's totally. always good. Yeah, definitely. So you all three came from the same class to work on this, correct? How big is the class? I'm assuming it's not just you three, right? Uh, yeah, there's about um, tw 12 of us, yeah. I would say. Right. About 12 of us in there. So was everybody just getting assigned to projects that they could use their technical skills on, or was this a special opportunity afforded to you three because you're just so dandy at what you do? <laughs> Everybody else is, um, of course, we're working on projects for the class itself, mm -hmm. um, but then all of the students are helping out in some way with the uh, installation, whether it's helping, you know, do some modeling or something. Um, but us three kind of had an interest in more of the technological side. Two of us are engineering majors. Um, so that was kind of like, uh, it kind of fit our interests really well, something that we could help a lot more with. So that's how we kind of got tasked with um, helping out with this. All right, all right. And, um... I mean, what kind of experience have you guys had working on this? I mean, it's definitely not a common kind of thing to just kind of fall into your lap, especially in the engineering field. Like, I imagine this doesn't happen every day. So, uh, what, what, what kind of... How are you guys feeling about this right now? How long have you been working on it, for one? So, I guess we first started working on... I guess you came in Friday? Friday? Or no, last Wednesday, last maybe? Last week, yeah. So, um, that's when we first kind of found out about what we were actually going to be working on. So we kind of started doing some um, initial, you know, research into it, figuring out what the best plan was. So then we've, we've had some technical difficulties along the way. We originally started out using a, a much more complex solution, and we've been able to, over the past um, day or two, put a lot of time in and actually work it down to be a lot simpler where it will actually work and work, you know, work a lot more reliably and a lot more simply throughout the installation. You know, one of the things that I think is really great about working um, with you has been that I feel like what's happening with the 3D printer in a way mirrors a lot of my interests with technology in general, where part of what the show is trying to address is this sort of acceleration in digital culture, mm. right? So the, the sort of overproduction and instant disposability of all of these gadgets or the sort of massive quantities of data that are being produced are all part of a kind of acceleration in digital culture. And one of the things that's been really interesting to me about the 3D printer aspect is that it's really going against that grain. I mean, we think about 3D printers as being, you know, it's like the latest and greatest technology. It's the wave of the future. But one of the things that for me, after you know, having sort of a very layman's relationship to this kind of technology, was that the printer is not fast. Mm. So 3D printers take 
forever. And, you know, it's very, it's, you know, it's basically a motorized glue gun that is, is really, really, really slowly making layers, very thin layers of, of an object to build it up. I think that that's super interesting, especially just this idea of time, you know, the, the long time that it takes to make an instantly disposable thing. Mm -hmm. um, thinking about this sort of geologic time or deep time of the science fiction element of this project. And I think the same thing happened with the way that we have been approaching the development of the, the motors, right, is that, you know, we started out with this like super high tech, you know, way of approaching the problem of how do we make these motors sing that was going to involve computers and a wireless network and all of these things. And then we've been basically unengineering it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so trying to make it simpler and simpler and simpler. We've gone from using a MIDI file to basically hand coding. You're bas you're, that's basically what you're doing, right? You're hand coding yeah. values in so we've, we've gone super, super low-tech in some ways with this. Yeah, exactly. Um, like you said, we, we started out with a really complex solution where we were going to use um, a small Linux computer and some wireless networks, and uh, we were going to use like another laptop off to the side to you know control this system. Um, but as we kind of got into it, it became more and more difficult, and things weren't talking the same language that needed to be. And, um, things just weren't working out, so we kind of started, you know, simplifying it, simplifying it. And um, originally, the um, the driver board that we're using um, to actually control the motors had its own um, like software on it that um, would drive the stepper motors. Um, but we were having a lot of difficulties with that. So in the end, what we ended up doing was just kind of erasing the controller board and writing our own code, you know, from scratch that would actually do this and actually hand code in um, exactly what uh, what you wanted for. The, um, for all the different sounds and messages. Wow, and that sounds like a pretty intense process trying to figure that out. Uh, it's been really amazing watching you guys work. So, yeah. Encoding, difficult, right? <laughs> I mean, to an English major like myself, it is an impossible art. Um, ones and zeros make me feel uncomfortable. Uh, but, um, yeah, wow. Um, getting involved in that, it's real, it's real nice. Uh, I'm glad that UK's making these kind of connections between students and outside involvement. It's great. It's great. It's been really fun. We're going to take another short break, and uh, we'll come back with more office hours. During the break, uh, we were talking with students here, and Mike... Uh, has a bit that he'd like to say about the class that he's in and how that kind of ties into Catherine's exhibit. And we'll uh, warn listeners ahead of time. Uh, Mike has informed us that his voice is a bit strained, but we're all behind him. We're ready to hear his story. You have the encouragement of the entire WRFL community behind you, Mike. Awesome. Well, yeah, I just wanted to talk about how there's a lot of parallels in this exhibit with what we've been kind of going through and learning in our class this semester. Um, this is the first time the hybrid fabrication class has been offered at UK. And one of the big focuses is uh, the number of different materials and different tools that we use, and really the challenge is to choose the best tool for the task. <clears throat> so we do a lot with 3D printers, we do a lot with laser cutters, and uh, it really just depends on the context uh, as to which one is the better method. So there, um, a lot of 3D printing actually 
highlighted in the exhibit. Um, but for what I've been doing for this kind of technical component of the exhibit, I've been building structural components um, with laser cut items, and I've been doing that with wood and with acrylic and some different materials. So it's just been interesting to really get to take what we've learned in class and apply it here in kind of choosing the right method and choosing the right material for the job. All right. What was your major, Mike? I'm a media studies major. Oh, okay. So that makes a bit more sense, I think, well, to my mind anyway, than the engineering. Not that you guys don't have artistic feelings. I'm sure you do, but media studies, come on. Come on. Yeah. It was my first art class, but really I loved it. All right. So, so um what what else have you been doing in this media stuff? This I mean, this sounds like such a unique course. I would like to know a little bit more about it outside of the helping Catherine on the exhibit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh it's really an exciting time. There are technologies like 3D printing available um, in other places around campus, mm -hmm. but a lot of times they're only um, accessible to students who are actually in that major program. Um, for whatever department owns it. And so the art school is really kind of opening that up to a lot of disciplines across campus mm -hmm. and trying to get other people involved because really uh, fabrication and rapid fabrication techniques are applicable to pretty much any discipline. Um, you, can, you can find a use for it in your field. And so as a communication student, I've been really excited to kind of get involved with that and I'm, I'm excited about the future. Um, there's a new lab that's going to be opening up next year that's going to have some of these tools and more course offerings like the one that's kind of piloted this year. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so you've worked with a 3D printer before becoming involved with this, correct? Yeah, we right. had a, the whole first part of this semester. What was the first thing you printed on that 3D printer when you had the freedom to kind of do what you wanted? Um, I actually had a nightlight from Walmart and our, our first task in class was to replicate an item and print it out. So mm -hmm. I replicated my nightlight um, in a CAD software on the computer, and then I printed out an exact kind of copy of it. You put plastic. a little bulb in there, and will it work? Well, I tried to put the internals in there, and I was about one millimeter off, and they <sighs> wouldn't fit. It was close. The struggle is real. Yeah. Well, all right. That's definitely, that, that sounds like a really cool course, I'm going to be honest. Um, now, also during the break, uh, Catherine, we talked a little bit about the science fiction element and how people have kind of assigned that to your work, honestly. And um, I would like to know the way that people have kind of attached this label to it. And you said you'd kind of gone back and worked with it a little bit. Can you, can you tell us what you've done to kind of tie what you're sculpting into this science fiction genre? Right. Well, you know, basically, I was I had been making these these sculptures. I had actually done interestingly, as we've been struggling with some of the technology here. I had done a um, a project previously that involved a lot of a lot of technological challenges. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> a lot of late nights with other people writing ones and zeros, um, similar to what's been going on here. Um, but at that point, I think my my main interest with technology, I was so frustrated with everything. I think I just wanted to use my hands mm -hmm. and make sculptures, and I kind of wanted to put technology in a rock. So just, ugh, you know? And that's how I started with the sculptures. When people saw them, I would invite people in to, you know, to see my work. And um, when people were looking at them, they all were talking about how they had this kind of science fiction feeling to them, which I think is definitely there. I then sort of thought, okay, 
how can I sort of highlight that idea? And one of my friends suggested, what if there's a science fiction story that goes along with this? So um, I thought, well, you know, I'm not really a fiction writer, so how will I, how will I go about this? And the, what ended up happening was all of the, um, along with being USB devices, the other sort of conceit for the objects that are included in the show is that they're all ordered off the internet. So. I, like, 99% of the things in the show come from Amazon, you know. Amazon Prime is my best friend. <laughs> and I thought, okay, well, if I need to have a story, I should try to order a story off of the internet also. And it turns out that you can, in fact, buy a custom science fiction story for $5. You can get a ghostwriter. <laughs> so I ordered this $5 story. Um, in order to kind of guide the ghostwriter, I had written a little blurb, kind of, you know, just some ideas about what what might have um, befallen the planet to create this these objects. Mm-hmm. And I sent him some images of the objects. Ultimately, what I got back was interesting, but it was not really the direction that I wanted to go with it. So I ended up just using the blurb that I myself had written, and that's sort of become a, a kind of prologue for the piece. So in a sense, the science fiction aspect of it is kind of mapped on afterwards. Mm-hmm. The prologue is now a video. It's sort of a scrolling text video. It's also in the in the catalog that we're producing. But one of the things that interests me most, because I wouldn't really classify myself as a science fiction artist, really, but one of the things that really does interest me about the idea of science fiction is the way that it mixes the present and the future. So, you know, we were talking about with the 3D printer, we were talking about, you know, this different sense of time scale, like a very slow, long time. Mm -hmm. With the sculptures that are kind of looking at archaeology or something, you know, these things maybe came out of an archaeological dig, the idea of making scarabs with the 3D printer. It's, It's thinking about, like, a very different time scale. And I think science fiction is interesting because it mixes the future with the present. So science fiction is sort of, it's, it's a future that is, is related to the present. And I am reminded of a, a talk by Ashila Membe, who was talking about Afrofuturism and, in sci-fi writing. And mm-hmm. he said something that's really stuck with me, which is that basically Afrofuturism is now. Like you're already living in a science fiction scenario if you're living in in a global capitalist society, basically. Like these hor- these sort of inconceivable amounts of a sort of exploitation are happening now, right? The like inconceivable ways of living are happening now. Mm-hmm. So I think that science fiction is very interesting for that reason. This sort of mixing of the of the present and future, the idea of sort of social critique. That that is really interesting to think of like we're living in the future i mean personally i refuse to believe i'm living in the future until i have a hoverboard uh <laughs> but uh that's a symptom of watching back to the future too about five too many times well i have a question about the sure. n- just taking a step back the 99 percent of what's in the exhibit was essentially bought offline how about rocks did you buy rocks online I okay. <laughs> I really well, want, I really yeah. want to know if that's so, happening. Great. Well, no. You know what? I I bought online was some some vintage brick. I bought vintage brick online, which I then shattered to make look rock like. Um, but the rock um, the rock concoction is a 
secret recipe that is um, from the Complete Sculptor. I'll plug my local art supply store, the Complete Sculptor in New York. So various different materials going into that. How was getting back to working with something so tangible, something like, I mean, rock, right? So something right. so kind of basic. Right. Um, even like what we think of like, you know, artist equals canvas or something. You're kind of like even taking it a step back further. Um, how did that had you done that before or how did that kind of feel to work with? Yeah, actually, so making sculptures, I mean, I've, I've always made things, but making sculptures that are just objects that are just there on display is a new thing for me. And the techniques that I was using, so it's, um, it's actually, I'm using a moldable polymer called Magic Sculpt and coating that with various rock materials. So um, that was a new thing for me because usually I'm, I'm sort of trained as a performance artist and video artist. Mm-hmm. So often when I would make things, I would be making them to use in a video um, or to use in a performance. So having these things, I think, you know, with a life of their own where, you know, they'll, they'll stay here and I'll go away. You know, <laughs> that's been a very a different uh, process for me. And it's been really fun to kind of, you know, have the, it's a really nice meditative way for me to work, I think. Yeah. From what you and Brian were talking about a moment ago, it made me think of the title of your exhibit, E-Waste, um, and what I'm kind of drawing personally as a meaning here of like what happens to pieces of technology after we're gone. How does this naturally go from one point to another? Um, there is, or there has been in recent years, you know, a lot more discussion about e-cycling is the terrible term people put on it. But <laughs> what do we do with electronics? What do we do with outdated electronics? Old CRT TVs, like you can't, taking them to the dump is not a great idea. So I'm wondering if like you personally have some kind of stance on this, like, let's call it a green issue. Uh, about what happens to electronic waste and if maybe there's something you are trying to say with the exhibit or if I'm totally off base that's also cool no I mean I think I think really electronic waste is you know it's one part of a, of a larger problem which is waste in general which mm-hmm. is sort of the overproduction of everything and the overconsumption of everything and absolutely I mean a lot of the materials that are used in electronics are very, very bad. But um, I think that that the idea of disposability, taking anything to the dump, is not a great option for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the real issue for me is about this kind of our sort of disposability driven culture. Mm. Before we run out of time, there's somebody in this room oh dear. who hasn't been on the radio yet. So. Let's kind of move back to the students for a second. And uh, I would like to hear from each of you. I mean, we heard briefly some of the thoughts that you have on working on the exhibit itself, some of the things that you've done. But I would like to hear your thoughts or opinions on the actual exhibit, like what you've seen or what you've worked with outside the technical side of things. Yeah, so I was really struck by, like, the variety of novelty USB devices that are available. Uh, like, I'm familiar with, like, flash drives and extension cords and hubs and stuff that, stuff that like, is useful. But I had no idea. They make, like, USB-powered tentacles that just kind of stick out of your computer and wiggle. Um, <laughs> they make these USB lights, um, USB fans. It's just, it seems like a lot of this is just using USB power 
uh, to power you know arbitrary things. And so this really awakened me to that. And also it brings up the question uh, with the the e-cycling, uh, how many of these are produced and how long do people actually keep them before they get bored of them and just discard them? See, now you're making me feel conscious because I just bought a USB bike light like two hours ago. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. So now I'm feeling like a big jerk. <laughs> Well, if you use it, it, if you actually use it. It's uh -huh. The important question is, what do you do with a light when you're done with it? Are you just going to throw it away? Well, like in most situations, when I'm done using the light, mm -hmm. I turn it off. <laughs> waka waka. Uh, good question. I mean, I haven't had a USB light um, for my bike that has died yet. But I think I'm probably going to do some kind of art piece with it now that I'm oh, thinking about it. <laughs> what an original idea! Perfect. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got. I mean, it's better. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm being honest though too. I mean, I would think mm -hmm. I might try to recycle it in some way th that way. Some fashion. Um, instead of, I mean, I did it intentionally so I could get off the the battery grid of continually wasting batteries, right? So um, because you know those kinds of things go through batteries really ridiculously fast. So mm. something a little more sustainable that can kind of not just eat away at that but um yeah usb man that thing is crazy it's the wave of the future yeah i don't know if you've and, heard well, and the present uh, present yeah. and future. <laughs> <laughs> all right so how about you two what do you think about the exhibit so i think it's particularly interesting how uh, most of the things are usb i mean if you look at like the history of like computing and like technology you know we've had things from like floppy disks they came and went CDs have pretty much gone away now DVDs have pretty much gone away um, you know there was firewire there's been all different types of um, things but USB has kind of been kind of stuck around for a really long time um, and it's just been continually improving um, you know we've had USB for oh since almost like some of the first you know PCs so I think it's interesting how um, you know in the piece that kind of shows how these devices are the ones sticking around are USB. All right. Yeah, and for me it's always exciting to see um, kind of different mediums come together. And so seeing video components and physical components and then something even crazier like 3D printing kind of thrown into the mix, um, that's what excites me as an artist uh, in my work. And so it's been really cool to be able to work on a project like that. And I'm excited to see it happen this week. All right. And final question for Catherine. What are your thoughts on having your exhibit here at UK? Oh, it's been great, actually. I mean, it's impacted the exhibition in that without this this hybrid production class and um, conversations that I was having with Jim Wade and Derek Eggers, who are the instructors for that class, over the summer, we wouldn't have the 3D printer element of this. So that's really enabled enabled that component of the project, which has also helped me to sort of think through a lot of the the things that I was working through in the sculptures in this other medium, which is, you know, always a, always a great opportunity. And it's really wonderful to be here in Lexington, which I've just learned is one of the Amazon centers. <laughs> so it, in some weird way, all of these devices are now coming home. <laughs> they're, they're coming home to roost. I don't know if you know this, but we're a very important city. <laughs> I also learned a lot about about basketball. Yes. Well, you exactly. can't avoid it. <laughs> well, uh, again, thank you for coming on to Office Hours. Thank you guys for coming on to Office thank Hours. You. Thank you for having uh, us. We've been super happy to talk to you today. Uh, tune in next week for another exciting installment. <laughs>
Artist Hours is produced in cooperation with WRFL and the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Kentucky. This broadcast theme song is Sandu, performed by Hugo Drupi Contini and provided by the Free Music Archive.